Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast. It is On the Beat Live, sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt and johnnytshirt.com. Take care of those guys. They're on Franklin Street. For your viewing pleasure, you can go in and see everything they have. If you're in town for the Duke game on Saturday, go visit them. Make sure if you're a premium subscriber here, you tell them that, and you get your 10% off your order. You can do it there. You can do it online. They'll deliver it straight to your door. They've got great gear for all seasons. A little bit warm today, a little bit warm and rainy where I am. So I'm sure you could get some gear for that at Johnny T-Shirt and you can get some gear for the coming spring season and you can get some gear for the Duke game if you don't have it, if you're in town going to see the Blue Devils in the Smith Center. Live means we have Greg Barnes and Gregory Hall. It's a thin room tonight. We usually have a, a room packed full, but I guess uh, we've got Gerson had an intramural basketball game, and I don't know what Isaiah was doing. So did did we get big time? It sounds like it. I I don't know. Maybe maybe uh, being a student is a little more important these days than hanging around with the old people. And Gregory, you're officially an old person. Let's get into this. Uh, if you hang around with old people enough, you turn old. You start acting like us. Let's, uh, let's get into it. Greg Barnes, uh, Duke's coming to town. Carolina, um, like we talked about off air, did what they were supposed to do the last four games, got some wins. This game, as crazy as it is, um, and it speaks to just the chaos of the ACC this year, this game is for first place tie for Carolina in the ACC. I'm speechless. Greg, make sense of it all. <laughs> uh, that is the ACC. We, we were able to talk to Jay Billis on Thursday afternoon. Game day, of course, is coming. I believe they get started at 11, 11 a.m. at the Smith Center on Saturday, so that'll be fun uh, for, for those who want to attend. I think uh, admission's free to that. Um, but I'd ask Jay about kind of the ACC, uh, just kind of the, the opinion of the ACC uh, nationwide why you know, there's only four teams currently projected to make the NCAA tournament. Uh, Duke, of course, is the only one really like a top eight seed. Uh, and, and Jay was like, I mean, just look at the first round draft um, mock projections. And basically the only guys projected to play, to, you know, to be picked in the first round play in Durham. And uh, you know, Hubert Davis was asked that question a week or so ago. I believe CL Brown asked him, uh, you know, and Hubert did what, what all these coaches are going to do, which makes sense is kind of protect the league. Um, but the talent's just not there and we're seeing it and how these teams have performed. And so what happens is, is uh, you, I don't know if you guys saw Garrison Brooks's comments the other night, but he said in the SEC, there's no nights off. There's, there's no teams like Boston college uh, to kind of give you an easy, easy win, which I thought was interesting coming from Garrison. Um, but I, I think he's, he's right. And, you know, North Carolina, uh, a lot of these teams have benefited, but North Carolina has benefited thus far. And now they're into a, a difficult stretch of games beginning on Saturday. And if North Carolina wants to confirm that they are a legitimate NCAA tournament team, uh, you know, winning against Duke on Saturday certainly w- would do that. And uh, as you said, that would put them uh, in, in, first place in the ACC, which is wild, uh, 12 games into the ACC schedule. So a lot of tough games to come, uh, but that would, be a, that would be a feather in their cap. And uh, North Carolina is lacking quality wins, and that would be a very good one. That's Just essentially what Armando said today, right? I mean, he said, look, a win on Saturday validates uh, the, w- how we can play and how we think we can play. Um, essentially the Purdue game. He didn't say Purdue, but I mean, that's yeah, he said earlier in the season, he's not pointing to college of Charleston. Yeah. They can be good. I mean, we've seen that 
but but let me ask you both and get your both opinion and Gregory I'll start with you on this one I mean you got Duke and then you got at Duke to end the season I would put their chances to win at Duke at negative 500 percent given what's going to go down in Cameron on that game on March the 5th this game on February the 5th is this the game Carolina needs to get to get in the NCAA tournament? Clearly, they could run the table outside of this game and get in. But is this Duke game that important for Carolina's NCAA tournament hopes, in your opinion, Gregory? No, because of what you just said, as far as hopes in general. Now, I think it, I think it helps them to then, if they turn around and lose a game that they might not supposed to, they have this to hang their hat on, considering it's their first quad one win. But you still got the ACC tournament and things like that, that could help them. So I don't know if it's the end-all, be-all, like win and you're in, lose and you're out. Um, but obviously, if you lose, and I also think it, I don't know, I mean, obviously, when it comes to the quad system, they don't look at the score of your wins and things like that. But um, I think showing some a close game helps as well when it comes to the committee later on. But then you just, it's an uphill battle if you lose this game by a lot than if you win it and you can kind of, give yourself some leeway moving, moving forward. So I don't know if it's the end all be all. There's some breathing room, right, Greg? Correct. I think Gregory's exactly right. If you can win this game at home, that's the other thing. This is the only home Q1 opportunity they have left. Uh, so potentially this is the easiest game to get a Q1 win uh, just because of the, the home crowd and all that. I and mean, the crowd was great against NC state. I and mean, that was fantastic. I know there are different elements involved there. Um, yeah, you win this one and all that pressure, all that talk about, hey, this is a true bubble team subsides a little bit. Now, if you go and stick your foot in the mud against Clemson and, and Florida State and at Virginia Tech, you know, those questions come back up. But if you win this game at home against a, a good Duke team, a top 10 Duke team, that gives you that quality victory that you need. And that gives you a Q1 win, and it's going to stay a Q1 win. Uh, and so things start shifting in your favor a little bit more. That doesn't mean you're going to be a five seed by any stretch, but at least kind of confirms that, hey, we're on the right side of the bubble going into the latter part of the season. Uh, if you lose it, you're not out. I mean, Duke's a good team. You're not going to get hurt by, by losing that game. But that puts much more pressure on some of these other ones. Coming. I mean, you almost have to win Clemson. Otherwise, I mean, if you lose that against Duke at home and then at Clemson, you're on the wrong side of the bubble with, uh, what would that be? Seven games left in the ACC season. So, yeah, they've very got important game. I, I'm with Gregory. It's not a, a must-win game yet. We're too early for that. And the ACC tournament, uh, I think, kind of changes that dynamic anyway. But it is a very important one. And let's yeah. put it this way, because you said negative whatever chances at Cameron. They don't want to get to the point where that is a must-win game, right? Like they don't want this game to then snowball – into a loss at Clemson and, and things like that. Um, which is why kind of going back to what I said, if they're just competitive, then I think that might prevent a snowball effect. And the other part of that too, is if North Carolina does enough these next couple of weeks to where they're in the tournament, no question about it. That takes a lot of pressure off going into Cameron and that makes sure that all the pressure is on Duke. Because I'll tell you one thing, think about how much, I mean, that 2016 is still praised because they went in to Duke on senior night, J.J. Reddick, and spoiled that evening. Um, if this team could do that on Coach K's final home game, forget about what happened the rest of this year. This team will forever be exalted as one of the greatest ever. <laughs> yeah, I, you, you've got that right. And, and I, call it, I sort of equate it to um, similar to the football team the football had a had a bowl in their hand going to nc state rather than having to beat nc state um, to get to a bowl and you could tell by the way they played i mean they played loose and free against state it didn't work out obviously because of a miracle but i, I see a similar type dynamic building here L let's look at how they approach this duke game clearly the home court will help but greg it's just a bad matchup all around and i say that but then I add in the fact that Leaky Black over the last four games has been a completely different guy. I mean, it is, are we at the point in this game against Duke? We know Carolina rises and falls with Caleb Love. Sometimes, in, sometimes game to game, sometimes minute to minute, literally. Where are they now 
um, going into the Duke game, is is Leaky more of that guy that can really have a major impact on this game in ways we didn't expect it you know, five games ago? Potentially. One thing that we talked about um, the Virginia Tech game a couple weeks ago is how Virginia Tech, I mean, they put Storm Murphy on him, who's eight inches shorter, and dared him to shoot threes. And Leaky Black has risen to that challenge, right? I mean, what, what he's done the last four games is just phenomenal for him. And so Duke's not in a position where they can leave him alone like that. And so just playing the way that he has does change how Duke would uh, scout North Carolina and, and game plan for North Carolina. Um, is Leakey a guy that's going to come in and be the difference maker in that game? I doubt it because he is more of a kind of a, a role guy. I mean, if he's your best player on the court, uh, that probably doesn't bode well. That's not a knock on Leakey. That's just kind of how this, this team is, is set up. Um, but sure, if he, he plays a very solid game, is able, I mean, if he scores 10 points, take it and run. And if he's able to play pretty good defense uh, and then get some assists and maybe get a steal or a block, all those things are very beneficial and support the opportunity for a guy like Baycott and Love to play well. Because if those two don't play well, I don't think Carolina really has a shot. Um, but if those two play well, and then you're getting contributions from guys like Leakey and maybe a Puff Johnson, well, now you're competitive and now you have a chance to win. Gregor, who guards Paolo Bancaro? <laughs> I mean, that's it right there. That's the $64,000 question in this game, I think. Well, b- before that, um, before I answer that, Leakey has the best offensive rating on the team and is 83rd in the country in offensive rating. So wow. I think that's pretty funny. He has a higher offensive rating than Paolo. But Carolina's best is 83rd. Well, yeah. He's the second is uh, Armando at 201st in the country. But I just thought that was, I saw that because I mean, he's what? Uh, nine of something, seven of something from three in the last four games, something crazy. Seven of um, 11, is that what it is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just thought that was funny. Who guards Paulo? Um, look, I. I don't, don't think, think there's it a matters. question. I don't think there's a question about who guards him. It's leaky over Brady. If those are your two options, it's leaky's guards him, right? But I you think don't. So? Who do you think guards him? Brady? Who's Brady going to guard? If he doesn't guard Banchero, who's he going to guard? Griffin or Wendell Moore? No, nah, Caleb's on Wendell. I, I think there are bad matchups up and down the look. Lineup if, here. if UNC, if Brady guards Paulo, I'm a. I'm fine with that because Paulo can score 40. That is, it's fine. If he scores 40, that's fine. I mean, it's not fine, but you know, it's what everyone else does. So honestly, I think Brady on Paulo might be the best matchup. If you can prevent a guy like AJ Griffin, who does have the highest offensive rating on the team, uh, I think. Uh, just higher yeah, than Mark Williams. Is. Yeah, he's 17th in the country. He's shoot. He's the best shooter in the ACC. He's lights out. He sh- makes tough shots. It's crazy. So yeah, I think if you put Brady on him, that bodes well. If you can limit everyone else on the floor. So this is yeah, this I'd is that game you. though. This is that game that it's just if, if they're going to figure out how to wait a way to win, it's because they gritted out and a highly this, improbable one. That's right. And this is the game you tell Brady. Look, your manhood is going to be challenged. Everybody is expecting Manchero to embarrass you. Play your guts out. We're not going to be able to help you. And but, you got five fouls. Right. It, but if you do this and you, you don't have to even play him to a draw, just make sure he doesn't you know, go for 50 on you. If you let him go for 20, you would take it and run. Seriously, you, you let yeah. him score 20 points on you, you take that and run. 30. Well, 30 the, the maybe issue, pushing it, but yeah, I mean, it's the issue with Duke is they're not a team that you can allow somebody to go nuts and then shut everybody else down because they got guys all over the court that can play. I correct. mean, Wendell Moore is going to be chopping at the bit to get action in on this Carolina game. And, and I haven't paid attention to Duke a lot in the ACC season, but early in the year, the guy was playing great. Well, if, still Brady, if Brady can get Paulo to settle for like spot up jumpers on the elbow or even from three, that's a win. If he's just decided, if he just decides to go at Brady 
early in the shot clock one-on-one, that's going to be where the issues start happening. If it's early, short possessions, and Paulo just gets his, that's where the issues start. You just yeah. have to draw some charges. Yeah, and the, the other part that I think is a challenge for North Carolina uh, is, is R.J. Davis defensively, and really even offensively, because you know, Jeremy Roach has been playing uh, since Trevor Kills got hurt. Trevor Kills, of course, came back, played a little bit against, against Notre Dame earlier in the week. Uh, but Roach is a guy that, that R.J. can handle. I think he's 6'1". You know, he's not much bigger than R.J. That's a good matchup for R.J., they play a lot, though, with, with more running the, the point. More 6'5", 215. Kills is 6'4", 225. Uh, that's the significant size advantage against R.J. Davis. Uh, and so I think that's, that's a problem for North Carolina uh, on, on both ends of the court. And so you're, if you're a North Carolina fan, I think you're hoping that, that Jeremy Roach uh, plays a lot of minutes because that makes things a lot easier in your backcourt. Do we see more of the help defense that was successful against State, you think? Duke and State aren't on the same plan. No, I know. I know. But, that I mean, it was very obvious the game plan to shut down Sebron. Right. But part of that is that State's not a good outside shooting team. Sure. Um, and so you you have the ability. Sebron, they, they forced him to go left. They let him. They gave him some space so that you know he couldn't just blow by him. And then, as you said, they they had very good help rotations, especially early. And it's got him frustrated. Uh, you know, Duke is just not not so much like Kentucky in terms of the dribble drive and kick, but that's what they do, and that's what they always did against Roy's teams. They had, did a pretty good job getting to the rim, and then they'd kick out. This Duke team's a little bit different. They're not um, you know quite as proficient, I think, shooting the the three ball, even though they are pretty pretty good. Uh, but I, I really think for North Carolina to win this game, you can't help too much. And uh, you just got to really, really let the crowd fuel you and, and do a really good job on your man on ball. Um, yeah, you're going to have to help a little bit inside. But I, I just think this is a man-up game. And if everybody does their part, they have a chance. But if if somebody breaks down, uh, you know, getting exposed is, is going to be a problem. Here's how I would handle it. And obviously I don't coach, but if I'm guarding Bancaro, I am allowing him to shoot as many threes as he wants to take. And then if he wants to drive, then I'm drawing charges. And I'm rotating over and getting him called for offensive fouls. That's how you frustrate a guy that can play. I mean, if he's not hitting his shots, he's going to want to go inside. The one thing that we don't talk about a lot, Greg – you remember this over the years, especially I think with the Okafor teams and all that. Coach K would go straight NBA, clear out one on ones, take advantage of whatever matchup. He can do that with three or four guys at least on this team now against Carolina. I um, mean, Gregory, that that is the issue. Is everybody's got to do their job, but if everybody does their job and Duke does their job, Duke's better, and it's just what it is this year. And that's where the home court advantage comes in handy. I am a pessimist by nature. I'm really pessimistic on this one, but they've got a shot because if you look last year that people seem to forget, and granted Duke's very different, a guy like Caleb Love went nuts against Duke two times last year, Gregory. Is he the X factor in this one? Uh, Offensively, he has to be. Um, And yes, against Louisville, he struggled, but he's still – made some necessary plays down the stretch. Um, this pass to Brady under the basket was huge and things like that. But, I mean, he has to be taking, and he talked about it today, decision-making. Duke is going to want him to drive into Mark Williams. It's that simple. That's what Duke wants Caleb Love and RJ, for that matter. That's what they want them to do. Because when that happens, a lot of the times they get – they're not they're only halfway in the lane and they're going up for these floaters that Caleb has been not successful on at all, which is why he's shooting a lower percentage from two than he is from three. I believe that might've changed after this past game. Recently it was at that mark, but it's because he's settling for those floaters and it goes back to what we talked about. I don't know if it was last week or two weeks ago about the layup issue and things like that. Like that's has been the culprit more than anything. And you're not going to get those, Mark Williams and whatnot is going to force you into those tough floaters in the lane. 
So he just has to be smart on what type of shots he's taking and things like that. And then, yeah, have to hope that the shots go in like they did against Duke two years ago. And I mean, he shot over 50% from both three and over from the floor in those two games last year, averaged 21 points in both of them. I think he put up what 18 and 25. Um, I still believe 25 is his career high. I could be wrong on that. If he scored 26 this year or something, I have to look at it, but I mean, X factor probably, but then you got matchups like Baycott and Mark Williams. Someone mentioned in the chat that has to be a net positive. And that kind of goes back to what Greg was saying with help defense. The one person that can't help is Baycott because then Mark Williams is just going to get easy dunks because Duke's guards are really good at finding him under the basket. Similar to kind of how UNC's guards have been able to find Armando at times when we mentioned passing the ball and sharing the ball. And that's kind of what makes this offense go. If Baycott rotates over from the low post, to the other side on a driving uh, Keels, Theo, John Vancaro, then Mark Williams is going to win that battle without even having to go one-on-one against Baycott. Greg talking about the Williams Baycott matchup. I think this is a game where we see how good Baycott's gotten. Um, has he feet and, and look, there's no question that he's had some unbelievable games, but Mark Williams is a different animal altogether. I mean, when everybody was talking about going pro, if you were an anti-Duke person, you were hoping Mark Williams went pro because they're going to get skill guys. But Mark Williams is a guy that's the difference in Duke going to Elite Eight versus going to the Final Four with a chance to win. He's that good, I think. Baycott-Williams matchup, how do you see it going? Yeah, I agree with you. I think he's such a big body, um, and he's pretty smart with how he – how he uses his body in terms of, you know, making sure he doesn't reach and, and get into foul trouble. Um, but yeah, so many times Baycott has been able to use his size and it kind of goes, it reminds me of whether it's uh, Brandon Huffman down in the Bahamas when he you know, went for like 20 and 20 against one of those teams. And Roy was like, well, yeah, he should against these teams. Like he's much bigger than everybody. He needs to do it against ACC guys. Um, and, you know, Kennedy Meeks up at, I guess they played Temple in Annapolis a few years ago. In same situation, Temple played small. Kennedy had a big game, and we asked Rory about it afterwards. He's like, well, he should. He's, he's much bigger and more skilled. He should have an advantage. And we've seen that a lot out of Baycott. Now, give him credit, just because you have an advantage, you still have to take advantage of it, right? I mean, you still have to do the work, and Baycott has clearly done that. Uh, this is one of those where you know, he doesn't have a size advantage. He may have a little bit of a skill advantage, um, but he's not just going to be able to simply shoot over Williams. He's going to have to use his footwork. He's going to have to use positioning, establishing position down low, all those things to have success. He can't get careless and reach. Uh, you know, there. Louisville did a good job the other night, not to get into the, the foul situation there. They did a good job of their, their guards driving at him. In a normally called game, he would have been fouled out with like 10 minutes to go. And so you have to wonder if Coach K is, is seeing that and saying, all right, well, if we tack him and do it over and over and over again, yeah, he's going to get some blocks here. He's going to make some good plays. But if we can just pick up a couple fouls, that changes the whole dynamic because Carolina has nothing else in the post. And I really think you know, you're going to see Duke try to do that, try to attack the rim, get him in foul trouble because that changes the whole scope of the game. And if they're not able to do that, they still have a guy like Mark Williams who can defend them appropriately. And so Baycott needs to have a big game for North Carolina to win. So all that to be said, kind of like you said, Tommy, this is a really big game for Baycott. This is a a big game for him wanting to prove that he's able to go pro right now. All those things kind of come into play, and it's it's a great setting for him. Go back to the Kentucky game, right? Go back to the Kentucky game. Toshibwe got into foul trouble early, and that's when Baycott played well. And then Tashibwe came back in and it obviously didn't matter because everyone else on UNC did not play well at all defensively, offensively, the whole shebang. But yes, Tashibwe was won that battle on Baycott. The only way Baycott got his was because Tashibwe was on the bench. Now Baycott still needs to, needs to play better against Williams than he didn't did against Tashibwe, but they're same type of physicality, that type of next level big. Um, and I know Baycott said today that he's gone up against guys like Mark Williams before and has 
been able to hold his own and whatnot, but it needs to be another level on Saturday. And I did think it was interesting that he mentioned get him in foul trouble, right? Like he basically said, I try to get him in foul trouble. So, yeah. And the other part of that too, not just Kentucky, but Purdue, they got Baycott in foul trouble early. And in that game, he had two points and five rebounds in 17 minutes. Yeah. He, he's got to figure out if I'm Hubert Davis, the last thing I tell Baycott when he walks out on the court for the jump ball is we can get points back. We cannot get fouls back. Yep. Let them have – it's tough to tell a guy to uh, let them go. But this is a game where he, he simply cannot get in foul trouble, period. It will be over in a heartbeat. And, and like I said before, Mark Williams is good even if Baycott's out there. I'll be interested to see that matchup because I definitely think it's a matchup that you see on NBA tape. You see on the draft shows this kind of game. Um, and, and I think Baycott's up to it. Greg, you, you he's going to win it. Yeah, absolutely. He needs to win it. Um, however small, he needs to be the positive. But you alluded to it, and I don't even want to go into it because it was exhausting, but I wonder how this game is going to be officiated. I think they need to let it pl- – let them play within reason. You know, you can't call ticky-tack stuff on big men 30 feet from the basket. Let them play, and, and, and we'll see. I just have a feeling that um, – and I'm not saying officiating is going to matter, but I have a feeling this game is going to be called much differently than Louisville game. Uh, before we move on, I was muted to the YouTube when I said my stuff about Kentucky. So basically, before I re- – I don't want to repeat everything, but they were all like muted and whatnot. So my bad YouTube <laughs> chat. You'll be able to hear me on the podcast if you want. But basically, I just said go back to the Kentucky game with Tashibwe. Um, Baycott was successful when he got him in foul trouble and Tashibwe was on the bench, yada, yada, yada. And he's to be playing with Mark Williams, but he also needs to hold his own better one-on-one against Mark Williams. Boom. Yeah, that, that is a nutshell version of what you said. And you're right. But, I, I mean, it's foul trouble issues. This is – if I was a college uh, person, I would say you get five fouls. After your fifth foul, if you get a foul, it's a technical free throw shot, a technical foul shot, but you stay in the game. Man, it would make the game so much more fun to watch. Anyway, um, so, Greg – you know, you've seen this team uh, in the last couple of weeks. They've won some games. That Louisville game, you got to give credit to them. However it happened, they won. Um, it's not a game they've won in three years, in the last at least three years. They've lost it every time. Have they turned the corner a little bit? You know, Daw- everybody asks about Dawson Garcia. He's not going to be back for Duke. Um, Anthony Harris is not going to be back. Has that allowed Hubert Davis to sort of settle in a little bit of rotation? It's tough to say that when you got starters all playing 30 plus minutes, but it seems like there's a little more rhyme and reason to it in the last few games. And it's sort of helped how they've played. Do you see it that way? Yeah. I just think kind of to your point, you know, when you don't have two of your, your key guys that you're relying on, you don't have many options. Uh, and so with, with Puff really being your your only guy off the bench that you can really count on, uh, you know, I, I know they've, they've played some of the other guys and McCoy a little bit, but it's really, really Puff. Uh, I think it I think it puts you in a situation where you just have to trust the guys. And I, I thought it was very interesting today. Both Caleb and Armando talked about, uh, you know, the coaching staff has had to change practice. They don't really do any transition work. And for those who haven't been able to attend a North Carolina practice, uh, a lot of it is running up and down. You do have five on five, but you also have you know, some of the drills where it's four on three, and then after a shot, it's three on two, and then two on one to kind of stress the transition aspect of it. Uh, according to the players, they've cut out a ton of that, and it's really all just half-court stuff. That gets into a different conversation about the transition of this team. Uh, but that kind of speaks to this coaching staff realizes they're putting a lot of pressure on these guys and a lot of minutes on them. So they're having, having to be careful about usage um, and trying to give them blows wherever they can. But when, when you have a tight rotation, uh, I don't want to say it's freeing, but it makes it simpler uh, because you just don't have that many options. And I think that has helped. Uh, I, think, I think that's allowed people to kind of understand what their, their roles are. Um, and they've, they've played pretty well now, you know, they have played, you know, some teams that aren't very good. Uh, and so again, 
have they turned a corner? I'm not sure that you can say that. I do think the Louisville win was massive. Yeah, they didn't really look good in it. But to play, to play not your best and come back from a four-point deficit at the under four timeout uh, in, a, in a hostile environment and to kind of grit it out even when things aren't going your way necessarily, uh, I think that's big for this team. That's a big confidence boost. And so maybe from that standpoint, that's an element emotionally, mentally that they haven't had. And so maybe they can, they can translate that into more success moving forward. You mentioned the bench and Kerwin. He was a combined eight of 11 for three against this team last year. And I think that's yeah. kind of Brady steps into that role a little bit, considering how he's been playing versus Kerwin, right? Like it's like, Oh, if you don't have Kerwin making those shots, you lose now because Brady's filled that, that void. Um, but still pretty, pretty wild considering what he did against them last year. Yeah, and not to derail this, but you mentioned Caleb, uh, kind of the shooting struggles. Just looking here, in conference plays, Carolina's played 11 ACC games. Caleb's shooting 34.6% from the floor. Kerwin's shooting 28.6. Uh, and granted, they don't really count on Justin McCoy for, for scoring, but he's shooting 26.7%. Uh, so you're really getting the bulk of your scoring from Baycott, Love, and Manic, and then of course Leaky Black is throwing the gauntlet down lately. Yeah, it's uh the numbers in conference only games versus otherwise. It's an interesting mix. Let's look at, and that sort of leads me to a question from my man Drew Krebs. I think he bought me a refreshment, or that group did. I saw them in uh the Irish pub at the bowl game. Can you win this game with the starters basically accumulating every stat? Uh, I think they're probably going to have to, Greg. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. I mean, that's I don't see it any other way. Yeah. The only thing that the bench will, that needs to add is Hubert alluded to it. Um, I don't, I don't remember after what game, but it's basically like when those guys were in there, I thought our defensive production declined. And so that's why they didn't come back in the second half. And so that's kind of what they need to bring because it's going to be a physical game and the starters are going to be, high strong and everything's going to be up there and right. It's what we see at the beginning of every UNC Duke game. And so the energy level is going to be uh, certainly something different. Um, and so the, the bench is going to have to play some. And when they do, they can't be a liability on defense. It's that simple. They don't need to do be great offensive players. They just cannot be defensive liabilities. Let's be honest about this too. This team is, is what it is, right? If you go back to, Gregory, I think it was the UNC Asheville game when you asked Hubert about progress and some of the issues. And he said, we're only six games in. You know, I'm not that concerned right now. He was right at that point in time. We're five weeks away from selection Sunday. Like, this team is not going right. to change an awful, much, awful lot, right, between now and then. It is what it is. Uh, and so you're not going to see all of a sudden guys coming off the bench giving you key minutes. You know, Hopefully you can have a game or two where maybe a Walton gets hot, gives you a couple threes. Saturday would be great, right? Um, that kind of helps you. But what we've seen the last four games in terms of rotations and how people are playing and whether or not you think Caleb Love is forcing it at times, all those things are going to continue. There's no reason to expect that to change. That doesn't mean things can't change and can't adjust. But we, we have enough of a sample size that we know what these guys are going to do. We know what they're capable of. We know how they perform. Um, so if you're holding out hope that this team's going to get dramatically better, yeah, they can get better. Uh, and I know everybody says, oh, well, UCLA came on strong last year. Yeah, that that's the exception to the rule. And yeah, any team can be the exception, but to expect that is, is something else. Yeah, I mean, the starters have to stay on the court, and they've got to hit shots. And Caleb Love needs to hit his first couple, um, and they need to play like they've played at home. I, I feel like if they play like they did against NC State, even though I think NC State's um, at least has been garbage lately, if they play like that, I think they've got a legitimate shot to beat Duke. Um, anything less than that, it's going to be a, a mighty struggle. Let's take a short break. 
let the national guys pay the bills. This is on the beat live. Look, rate us, review, subscribe. Gregory, are we getting the uh, likes and the subscriptions or whatever it is on YouTube that we're always asking for? Are people following um, through with all we're only, that? We got 105 in here and we only got 10 likes. So we're going to need at least at least 30 people. What are we doing? Uh, I don't know. What? At least 30. That's 30%. If I shoot 30%, if I hit three out of every 10 in Major League Baseball, I go to the Hall of Fame. If I shoot Normally, 30%, I don't play the Normally, Slagle is over here asking for likes, but he's been quiet today. I don't, I don't know what Slagle's doing. He's been burning it up in the chat. He asked too, Greg, if you want to try to think about this. I don't know how to check it. I don't have access. What are love splits home versus away in conference? I think that would be an interesting I – would, I would wager that would be – one would be very good and one would be not very good. But anyway, let's let the national guys pay the bills. Uh, we will come back with On The Beat Live. Greg Barnes, Gregory Hall. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. All right, boys. Uh, everybody's asking who's leaky going guard. Um, well, we talked about that earlier. He's got options. Griffin, uh, Bancaro. Whoever is necessary. So we're going to turn to football, though. Greg, I think there was some significant football news just recently, just in the last couple of hours. Um, explain to Carolina fans why Mac Brown's most recent hire is a – it is absolutely the best it could have gone down for Carolina given who they lost when Billy High went elsewhere. Yeah, well, I think when, when Billy High left, uh, people need to understand the role that the Billy High played. Um, and we're at a point in college football where it's really not just the coach, head coach and the assistant coaches anymore. Uh, you can make the case that there are, even though salaries may suggest otherwise, there are certain people who are not assistant coaches who are just as important, if not more important, than the actual coach on the field. Um, and you, you see it at Alabama and you see it at Georgia and some of these bigger programs that can just stack their, uh, coaching, their, their staff rosters with, with incredible talents. Uh, Alabama does it to a ridiculous level. Uh, but Billy high was one of those guys. I mean, as, as Mac told us earlier this week, I mean, Billy was, was Mac's right-hand man. Um, and, and that, that's true. I mean, Mac would ask him questions and, Anything he needed to know about, you know, recruits or uh, how things were set up for recruiting visits or who this head coach was or who this kid out here in the East Coast was, Billy knew it just like that. And if he didn't know it, he'd find it out quickly. And that was who Mac went to. And losing Billy to Tennessee, I think, really hurt. And so you wanted to find somebody you can trust. And that's what makes it difficult is ideally you have somebody that you've worked with a long time. So you can kind of trust them. They know how you think. Uh, you're not having to you know, explain everything to them. And, and we thought maybe Mac would pick somebody that was already on staff uh, to fill that role. But it went, he's going with uh, apparently going with Patrick Suttis from, from Georgia Tech. And for those who don't know Patrick, uh, he's a guy that worked with uh, Nick Saban for a while at LSU uh, and then at Alabama. He worked with um, Mac at Texas back in 2013. So there's already that familiarity. And when Matt came on a couple of years ago, he actually contract, contacted Patrick about this position. And Patrick was just getting started, you know, Georgia Tech, and things were looking on the up for the Yellow Jackets. Not so much anymore. And it was actually Patrick who recommended Billy High uh, to Mac Brown. And so that's how that relationship started. 
And so now uh, able to bring in a guy like that with his resume is just critically important. And so that's, that's a big, a big landing for, uh, for Mac Brown. That's a very important hire. And I think you know, we talk about Gene Chizik, kind of where he ranks in terms of the necessity for a big offseason move. When you lose a guy like Billy High, you've got to nail that replacement. I think he's done that with Suttis. Speaking of recruiting, did y'all see Jimbo's rant? I have yes. not. I, I, I did not watch it. I did read about you it. You need to. Oh, he goes off. He, he is. Uh, do we agree with him? It's like the murderer complaining about murder. Right. It's like. We didn't kill anybody. Wink. Like, I, I mean, come I did, on, bro. Like, well, I mean, I did think it was funny that he mentioned bro Bible and sliced bread. I did think that was funny. <laughs> oh, I because all to these it. coaches tell us we don't read stuff, blah blah blah. But he's exactly talking about bro Bible and the handle sliced bread, complaining or talking about the fortune that Texas A and M donor spent on recruiting. I thought that was hilarious. I will go check it out, but you're right, Greg. There, there are, there are people behind the scenes that are as important as everybody but the head coach. And Sudis will be one of those guys. Billy High was one of those guys, and, and that's something, Greg. Mac Brown doesn't always get it right, but it seems like when he has a second shot at it, he gets it pretty right. And he's, I think, he's done that with this hire. With Chiswick and Warren, I mean, he's got a he's got a knack for get. I mean, he's done it for a long time, but he's good at making replacements that are often considered better than the guys that left. Yeah, and Mac does a kind of to to share a little bit from behind the scenes. Uh, Mac does a good job and and giving us opportunities to talk to him off the record, so that we can we can ask questions and have you know if there's anything that we're well, have questions about obviously but concerned about or don't understand something we can we can ask him and he'll give us honest answers which is very refreshing and, and very necessary in kind of the, the world that we live in um but mac is the confidence that he has really carries through in those settings um he gives off this very happy optimistic uh i don't want to say persona because that's who he is but kind of vibe in press conferences and those kind of things. Uh, it's less of that. It's more serious in some of these other encounters. And there's, I don't want to say it's a cockiness, but there's the confidence is just there. And when you're talking to him about guys leaving or potentially leaving all these things, he's very much like, oh, if somebody leaves, we're going to find somebody better to replace them. And he believes that wholeheartedly. There's no question about it. Um, and so I, I think, I think this is an example. I mean, they're, they're, the few moves he likes to keep guys around him that he trusts, uh, but the few moves he has had to make, or when guys have left, uh, he's been able to to make you know, hires that if they're not improvements, they're at least equals. Um, and so you know, not in a position right now to say if Suttis is a, an improvement, but he's got a really good background. And so if he can kind of fill that void and and slide into what Billy did, I think that would be very beneficial. Uh, you know, for, for everybody involved. And so Mac's ability to make some of those moves is really impressive. It's always having a list. Every, everybody, every coach and every AD has a list. Gregory, ask the question you put in the Slack channel for Greg. Uh, Greg, what can you tell our viewers about the NIL endeavor that you announced our IC's pseudo partnership with Heels for Life? Well, I don't know that I'd call it a partnership. Uh, they are going to do a, a podcast uh, in the IC family of, of podcasts uh, and to be able to provide exposure for some of these guys. But essentially what this is, is you know, North Carolina uh, deserves credit as a, as a program and university because as soon as we, we got an idea that this was coming, and I'm talking like years ago, Bubba Cunningham and his, his staff was like, all right, we need to be prepared for this. And so they've done a lot of different things with Influencer and the, the launch program that came out in June, which is before NIL legislation went into place. So they've done everything from an institutional standpoint that they could do. What they can't do is go out and, and sign deals for these players and get them deals and all these kind of things. That's something that they want to be very careful about. And so it was, there's a void there. And so it was important for uh, you know, supporters of the program uh, boosters, former players, those kind of things 
to, to step up and say, hey, you know, we want to make sure that everybody's taken care of. And we want to make sure that we're on the cutting edge of this and that we're doing everything by the book to provide opportunities and to make sure players know that there's places they can go and to make sure that businesses who are interested have a place where they can come and ha- ask questions and we can provide kind of that middleman stance. And that's what this is. It's a collective. Uh, but I, when you start talking about some of these, your know, Oregon's a good example. Uh, some of these other schools that are near big cities, you've got a lot of major corporations and companies in the big cities that can do deals like this. Well, Chapel Hill is not in a, a big city. And yeah, you have Raleigh nearby, but Chapel Hill is very much a community. And so there's a lot of community opportunities from a business standpoint of where players can strike up deals and have success. And so really what this is about is, is providing an opportunity and kind of a database to say, hey, these are all the guys who are interested. Here's our businesses that are interested in, in maybe utilizing players in that regard. We're going to put them together. And at the same time, we're going to allow fans to come in. And we're going to allow fans to, to play a role in this. And we're going to provide content. And the players can make money off that content and all these kind of things. And, and so it's a, it's a starting point. Um, you know, there's, there's no expectation that this is all it's going to be. The hope is that it grows and continues to grow and maybe eventually incorporate some other sports. Uh, but this, this, is, this is kind of the ground level stuff. Uh, and they've got a lot of good plans in place. I think it's great for the program. I mean, we've seen a lot about how other programs have done things. I think Florida is doing something similar to this. Uh, and then you get into like Miami where you have a billionaire funding uh, some of these, some of these deals with players to you know, sponsor their or to represent their, their products. That's a little, I don't want to say sketchy, but it's a little, little sketchy, right? Uh, so North Carolina is doing something a little bit different. Uh, and it, as I said, it's, it's independent from the athletic department. Uh, there, there's no overlap there, but it's uh, it's just a creative endeavor. It's been, they've been working on it for a while and want to make sure they have all their bases covered before they got started. Uh, and I think they're, they're ready to go and they're excited about it. It's like a NIL LinkedIn. Right, right, exactly. That's, that's a good way of phrasing nice. it. Yep. Way to make it, way to break it down. I mean, you yeah, could right you because could the businesses. That, I could have shut up for the last three months because <laughs> the businesses make connection. Like right, the businesses yeah. are in there, the players are in there, and then like there's other people part of it that are like looking at everything the database. So it's like LinkedIn, but for name, image, and likeness and UNC football. And a lot right. of people have, have expressed frustration from day one, and I get it that North Carolina did not provide a list of all these deals. Well, the deals are not public record, and so from UNC standpoint, being a public institution. Uh, there's just not a comfort level of saying, hey, we're going to break down every single one of these deals and provide it for public consumption. It's not something you want to get into. And so but that doesn't answer the question, right? It still leads to frustration from fans because fans want to know, all right, my favorite player is apparently has a deal with somebody. I have no clue who it is. How can I support that company who's trying to support this player? And so this bridges that gap and provides all that information. Uh, so it's beneficial for everybody. I feel like the only one that's been well known is the Bojangles partnerships that like Sam's done and Bo right. Corrales and, and things like that. And that's just because they've been like, it's a well-known thing and they've been on social media doing like ads and stuff. Like that's really it. There's minor ones um, all around. Hey, didn't I see Keyshawn said we're doing some wing stop or, or one <laughs> yeah. of those. That was interesting. But Caleb uh, he- just did something with Outback Steakhouse and Deja Kelly as well. Yeah, the women are destroying that. Wake Forest, by the way. Yeah, they, uh, they, um, it's an interesting thing, Greg. I wonder, and this is something that was discussed on the message boards. I wonder how it will affect Rams Club donations. That was a debate on the message boards. I think that is an interesting dynamic about this. Um, you know, somebody say they're a super Ram, they give $2,000 a year straight to the Rams Club. Well, what if they want to give it straight to, um, the NIL deals and the Rams club doesn't get all that. It, it, yeah. It's going to be interesting to see how it shakes out. For sure. That's one of the things with uh, the NIL that was inevitable, right? Uh, I mean, and, and talking with Shaquille Rashad about this, one, one point he made was you're kind of the base level uh, for, for membership, I think is like $15 a month. And his point was, look, you know, if, if everybody that buys a ticket to go to the Kenyan stadium on Saturday, you signs up for that $15 a month. I mean, you're talking about a, a lot of money available to help these players. 
Uh, now, is, is that amount of money, $15 a month? I'm not good at math. Was it 180 bucks? If that a year. Pretty good at math. Yeah. Uh, if that's <laughs> going to change how much somebody gives to the Rams club, I mean, you, you may have to get creative and, and all those kind of things. Um, but, you know, that's, it was inevitable that this was going to come and it, it was a necessary thing. And so now it's just a matter of seeing how those dynamics affect the, the donations that come in for various, various items. Yeah. Somebody mentioned Jimmy's seafood and absolutely um, we got to mention them. They, that's some good stuff and they certainly got Baycott and a few other players on the roll. That's uh, yeah, it's just a change in the game and all. Uh, let me switch gears from off of NIL and a lot of people in the chat, and I appreciate all the questions. Um, somebody mentioned, you know, tapping into the Charlotte market and the Charlotte Banking Center. I mean, I, I don't think anything is out of the question. I think Carolina's a little more on top of it than folks have realized, but we'll see how it all it all shakes out. Greg, if there's any billionaires just hanging around, like the guy in Miami, like the Ruiz family, <laughs> step up. I'm sure the billionaires are listening to our podcast, so this is an opportunity for them to to learn about the hills for hills for life deal. Yeah, I see you, Slagle. Um, come off some <laughs> of that cabbage, and uh, <laughs> but but yeah, I mean, I was going to ask you about this Keenan Stadium expansion, or at least the football center expansion. I think that's that's another big step. Mac Brown, one thing he does is he builds stuff, um, and he's he's basically built that entire um, Keenan football center under his watch in some form or fashion. But what can you tell us about the timeline? And folks listening, you need to check out the articles. Um, Greg and, and all the other Inside Carolina folks have done great jobs on these articles on the website. Um, but what's the timeline for that project to be started and finished in, in Chapel Hill? Because I could imagine it would be a little disruptive if it was going on during the season, but they've, they've done it before. What you got? I don't really know the answer to that, Tommy. Um, I, I know Mike wants it done yesterday for sure. Nope. Um, but they, they've gotten through some of the key steps in, in terms of getting the plans drawn up and, and getting some of the, the money uh, raised. I mean, that was a key part. You're coming out of – so th this whole deal, um, it, this is what Larry Fedora had planned. This is what he wanted to do. They all knew that they needed to expand the weight room and the locker rooms and all those things. Um, and you, we know how the end of the, the Fedora era winded up, and then, of course, you – Mac Brown gets started and basically a year after he gets here, COVID hits, which changes everything. And it was, uh, you know, a financial disaster for pretty much everybody involved. And so that pushed things back, but now North Carolina is in, in pretty good shape in terms of covering some of the costs. And, and now they're able to, to raise some of that money. Um, and it's, I'm not exactly sure when all this is going to take place. Mac has, has said, he told us in December that there's kind of a, a three-part process to it. Uh, and I think the, the first part, let's see here. I'm just looking at his quote. Um, training room is going to start in the spring and then the player's lounge and then redoing an outdoor area. That's the first part. And then from there, you go to the weight room. And when you start talking about the weight room, that's when you start talking about building out from Keenan. And that gets into more of the, the cost involved and then kind of the, uh, the construction involved and all those things. Uh, so I, I think it'll probably be a couple of years before it's all done. But just to have it going is big for recruiting, and it also helps fuel the, the money, the fundraising aspect of it. It's say, hey, we've already got this started. Let's, let's help us finish this up. Gregory, what you got as we run closer to the end of this one? Uh, yeah, Greg wasn't with us Monday night when we did our live show, so I was just curious his thoughts on UNC's football schedule. Yeah, I think it's a good schedule. I think it sets up well for him. I, I do think there are some very tough teams, um, but the tough teams largely are at the very end. Uh, I know that, that people may look at it, North Carolina fans, that, ah, you know, there's not any great teams on there. I, mean, I think there's some good teams. Having to go play at App, I think the, the fact they were able to get A&M moved uh, into week zero, pull some strings, they had to get a waiver to make sure that could happen was important because you don't want to have to go up to, to Boone on opening weekend that makes it very tough especially for a, a first year first time starting quarterback um but i think oh. notre dame is going to be good uh, i think pitt's going to be really good you're playing out miami is going to be tough still curious to see how how well they are how, how well they play in the first year under mario 
I think State's going to be really good. Um, and so while it's beneficial that Carolina gets to play those teams later in the year, those teams will also have a chance to get better. And so, um, but in terms of how it's set up, I, I don't think you care if you lose the first four games and they won't, but all non-conference games, it gives you a chance to get in the, the coastal division and feel like you've, you've accomplished something, feel like you've actually know what you're working with because you are going to have to replace a lot of key pieces and it gives you a chance Whereas last year, even though they had so many pieces returning, having to play on the road at Blacksburg, it's really tough. And I think because they lost that game, that changed the entire trajectory of that season. Whereas if they had played four games against non-conference opposition last year, uh, maybe things would have changed. And, and maybe this was not – we'd not be talking about a team last year that had a losing record. You sound like Tommy. You obviously listened to the show on Monday, Tommy, talking about how only the conference schedule matters. Yeah. I firmly believe that until until you prove that you can compete for a division title, then you need to use the non-conference games as practice. I agree, and, and to, unless you're competing for, and I've changed, I really have changed. I mean, the <laughs> Notre Dame game is important for national perception and all that, but until you're in the national conversation for New Year's Six and playoff games, it doesn't matter if you go eight and four, if you go eight and zero in your division in the conference. Um, because then you have an opportunity to win the conference championship. But yeah, a little bit different than twelve and zero, Gregory. They're not look. Fifteen and zero, Tommy. Slagle, they're already talking smack. Sixteen and zero now, right? Is that what it takes to go? All right. So here's a, here's a question, and maybe this is better. Maybe we should <laughs> we can pose the question and punt on it, or we can uh, you guys can actually answer it. Um, last year we had the whole conversation of. And Mac, Mac brought it up. Was this team in 2021 overhyped or did they underachieve? Now, I think you may, I think everybody would agree a little bit of both. But my, if you had to pick one. Yeah. If you had to pick one, what would it be? Underachieved. underachieved. Okay. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, who would have thought based on what we talked about and saw last spring? about spring practice that Jay Bateman would not be returning as defensive coordinator. Yeah. Right. Like the whole thing was, yeah, Sam Howell book it. Um, and he had a different season than we expected, but I mean, we, every, and I, I think, and I still defend everything we did over the off season, talking about the defense and making improvements. There was no reason to think otherwise. And that goes all the way from my guy, Des Evans to everyone else, right? Like there's no reason to think otherwise. Right. So. And I've, to, to that point, a couple of times last year, I went back through all of our content from the spring and the off season, went back through my notes and I'm like, okay, did I just completely miss here? Um, I didn't have them at 12 and 0. I had them at nine and three in the preseason. I mean, that's um, a miss, right? Yeah, yeah. For Ultimately, sure. that's a miss, but that that, that was the realistic. Yes. Pick. Well, and I mentioned this on Monday, looking at the schedule, is like I can see anything from five and seven to nine and three, realistically. Okay. I, I mean, I think seven and a half is probably the over under. So that, that exactly fits in that wheelhouse. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the point about being overhyped, which, which Mac had brought up. I think as a coach, you have to push that a little bit because if, if your team's not overhyped, then they underachieved. And if a team underachieves, that's on the coaching staff. And so you, you kind of have to walk this fine line as a, as a coach to kind of cover those bases and uh, not, to, not to push blame out. But even Mac talked about they kind of got wrapped up in some of the preseason hype. Uh, and it just it didn't go well for for staff or the team, and uh, so while we certainly are going to you know, be cognizant of that in the off season in terms of how we cover the team and uh, project ahead, I think the coaching staff will probably take a little bit more of a firm stance of look, guys, you guys have not proven anything. Uh, if you want to buy into the hype, you can go sit on the bench because. We, we don't want guys like that participating because that, that guy was in trouble last year. 
that Virginia, I remember, and, and it's crazy how time flies because it literally seems like it was last week. I remember sitting Blacksburg up there in the Carolina section watching that game unfold going, boy, I was wrong. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I was like, I have watched Carolina football for damn near 50 years, and I picked them 12 and 0. <laughs> but, uh, well, the thing with the perplexing thing about that game, it was the offense that was the issue. Yeah, but it all looked so familiar. What was interesting about that game, though, was, uh, you know, I predicted them to win by a handful, but you know, by a couple touchdowns or whatever it was. And after the game, some of the heat that I got was, see, you're, you're crapping on Virginia Tech. They're a lot better. I'm like, I don't think they are. Like, I don't no. think Virginia Tech's any good. I think Carolina just really uh, played very, very poorly in Blacksburg, which ultimately that, that proved to be the case. They, they just, uh, continue that trend way too often but new coaches in place new players brand new year right plenty Kinda of time like for optimism plenty of time <laughs> for there to be 12 and 0 projections we got a long time before august 27th i, I think uh by august 21st i'll probably be raring to do it um, any more anything else gregory people are fussing at us talking about football in the chat come on it's peeps. just it's just jake he's late you know it's it's jake's fault and um, he said he was watching arizona and ucla which he still hasn't given us a score update so you can't come in here talking about a top 10 matchup and not drop a score update um greg i wanted someone asked about your question to mac where you he piqued your interest and before we get out of here, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you to elaborate on your conversation with Mac about good old tampering. Yeah, just there's always been tampering in recruiting. Always has been. The transfer portal setup where you have you know, the one-time exemption where you can transfer without having to sit out a year has brought a whole new type of tampering involved. And what? Mac had kind of vented about it just very briefly. Uh, and so I wanted to see how much he would be able to expand on it. And, and you know, get Mac, give him all the credit in the world. He, he's very forthright and honest with us in, in conversations. He said that uh, kind of what happens is, is that you know, players have friends at other schools and they know people at other schools for, you know, they grew up with them, you know, all these camps they go to. And while a coach cannot, contact another player, send them a text, say, hey, you know, there's a spot here for you. If you were to transfer, that's not allowed. But if two guys grew up together and one happens to be at Georgia and one happens to be at North Carolina, there's nothing to stop the guy from Georgia being like, hey, you should come come play with us. I assume there's a spot available for you if you want to come. Uh, and that's kind of what's taking place. And as Mike said, you know, it hasn't really hurt North Carolina uh, yet. But he said he, he knows some, some friends in the, in the business who have lost players do that kind of stuff. And it just kind of goes back to the, you know, the, the rich get richer and, and um, teams are able to get really good players if they want them. And this, you know, add NIL in, uh, it just becomes a challenge. Now, it, it may seem like the Wild West right now, change typically brings that about. And so we may see some, some hectic years, some chaotic years you know, in the next few years. But I think at some point it'll settle down and they'll figure out a way to kind of better control it. Uh, but that's, that's kind of the stuff they're dealing with. And it makes roster management just, just so, so difficult because you, you don't know which guys you're going to have. And so you're trying to figure out how many guys you can sign on signing day. And yet you know, you've got guys leaving after spring. You've got guys leaving in the summer. you got – I mean, North Carolina had, what, 10 guys leave after mm -hmm. August last fall? Uh, this makes it really tough. Yeah, I mean, I don't like transfer portal. I don't like immediate eligibility. Um, you know, I think maybe it's immediate if a coach leaves or something like that, but whatever. Uh, somebody on the board said the horse is already out of the barn. That's absolutely right. And the NCAA doesn't seem to have any um, any desire or want to try to, to get it back right. But, look, you got to play the game. And if, if other schools are playing the game and trying to poach, you got to poach back. It's just how it is. And that's what makes it bad. And that's what sort of leads it down to not being the college football, college sports we all knew and loved when we grew up, when we grew up, growed up. That's some Johnston County for you. Did you like that? I knew the answer to your, you tried to test me on Twitter and I knew your old man answer. 
Well, I actually asked you, did you remember the first oh, one? Well, I, I was going to reply to that and be like, <laughs> I can't remember something I wasn't alive for. But I did I did know the answer. The first Coach K's first game in the Smith Center was the first game in the Smith Center. It was 95-92. It was a um, that was one versus two, Carolina and Duke. One versus Center. three, old man. Um, you might want to check that. But yeah, I agree. Well, <laughs> look, look, that that fun fact, that season was supposed to open in the Smith Center. Um, and they were late. And so the UCLA game that was supposed to open the Smith Center that to start that season was late. So that provided me an opportunity to walk through Carmichael on the way to the Duke football game and meet Michael Jordan and Dean Smith in the halls of Carmichael and the autograph sits right up there. Jordan was in crutches when he broke his foot um, his second year in the NBA. So whoever was building the Smith Center at the time, I'm glad y'all took your time and missed out the deadline. <laughs> it's been a fun show. Um, Grayville Observer. The Smith Center opened its doors on January 18, 1986, to an exciting matchup between number one UNC and number three Duke. Check that. I'll just leave it there. I'll let you be right for once. <laughs> Greg, you wanted a, a short and sweet and tight on the beat live. We're at a, an hour and eight minutes in, but I'm going to let you out. I'm going to let us all out. So we can go watch some Pac-10, Pac-12, Pac-16 football, what, basketball, whatever Arizona and UCLA is. Um, but, boys, it's been fun. Johnny T-Shirt certainly sponsored us. Rate, review, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Note, if you subscribe to the YouTube channel, you will get a notice when we go live right to your mobile device. Like us, review us, Spotify, all that stuff, five-star ratings, it helps. Take care of Johnny T-Shirt and johnnytshirt.com. And we will be back this same spot next week. There'll be plenty of content. I'll be with Dewey Burke, uh, Saturday post-game Duke. Saturday morning. Saturday morning inside Carolina Live. That's right. Are you there? I'm there. You're there. We are live. Listen to me. We're live on Inside Carolina Live. I'm just telling you now, 10 a.m. YouTube channel, WCHL. Greg Barnes will probably have to call in tons of content and you know what's crazy is yesterday was national football signing day and nobody even remembered it it's crazy how it's changed check out all the inside carolina podcast greg gregory it's always a pleasure what's up y'all this is four-time nba champ andre Iguodala. yo and this is his best friend the ohio state legend evan marcel turner the first every wednesday we drop a new episode on our show point four we're talking basketball business and all the culture in between from locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game now it is a dude dude averaging 29 and 11 god what it take to be an all-star a win Subscribe to Point Forward, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing.